0: BMG Partners and 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy... Hi there, you are with Kev Poulton and this time around we are going on the journey of Jack Zeeble, North Melbourne footballer but also proud to uh, reminisce about growing up not just in Wodonga, but also the region.
1: Yeah, so I'm obviously a, uh, a local lad, as you said, and um, I grew up in, in Wodonga my whole childhood. We were fortunate enough to live in town. and uh, I had the best of both worlds, to be honest. We lived in town with my parents, but my mum's parents were dairy farmers out in Talgano. So until I was about 12 or 13, we used to spend pretty much every weekend out on the farm and uh, we used to ride motorbikes and, and help with the cows and milk the cows and, and do all the, the fun country stuff and uh, they retired when I was a bit younger and, and moved into town and, and pretty much at that time, my, my old man um, then went and bought a house in um, the lovely country town of Mittermitter. So we had a house up there that we used frequently. Um, I started playing football up there when I was a bit of a kid and um, got to know all the locals and, and spent a lot of time on my friends' farms up there, whether we were shooting or fishing or motorbike riding, whatever it was, camping. Um, enjoying the lifestyle and um, I, was a, I was a student at Woodonga Primary although that school's changed quite a bit as I drive fast these days and I went from there to Woodonga High um, and then you tend that changed to the Senior Secondary College which it is now uh, and then I was fortunate enough to move to Melbourne in year 11 and 12 and go to boarding school at Caulfield Grammar Um, So I made the move at at 15 and 16 into Melbourne and and, uh, yeah, I haven't really been back to live in Wadonga since then because I was drafted and played in the AFL now for 11 years. So um, it's always nice to get home and and reflect on my journey a little bit, but it's uh, it's also nice to be able to call Melbourne home and and enjoy life down there too.
0: Well, let's talk about the uh, the junior years, Mitter, uh, playing footy out there, I guess cold winter mornings. Were you good to start with? Was it naturally a skill that you had to play football or did it take a fair bit of uh, practice over the years?
1: Oh, it's probably a bit of practice uh, helped. My old man was a country footballer. He played for just about every country club around this area. Um, and I remember just as a kid growing up, getting in my footy gear before I was old enough to play football and, and kicking the footy around for the thirds and the seconds and the, and the seniors all day long, run boundary for a, a pie and a can of Coke for the seniors. And whether that was in the Upper Murray League or the Tulangita League uh, or the Hume League, they'd at in the ovens of Murray as well. So um, we did a few Ks in a few different different leagues and teams. Um, but growing up, it was it's probably something that I was fortunately pretty good at, I suppose, as a kid. I played um, for Wodonga and Mitter pretty much my whole junior career, Um, and I remember a few days up in Mitter, it was a a bit cold, and we used to have to travel to Mount Beauty at times and play the base of Falls Creek up there, and um, when it was cold, it was a little bit of snow around. the Force used to kick off, I think, at about 8.30 in the morning on a, uh, in the middle of July. It's not much fun. So um, I sort of have to pinch myself when I run around on the MCG and see how far I've come from uh, from those days to, to where I'm now.
0: Well, earlier this year they got excited when there was snowfall in Canberra for the match that was in Canberra. <laughs> And, and anyone who has probably played footy in this region, moving towards the AFL, just like oh, just like the olden days. Yeah, it
1: is. And, and one of my best mates, John o. Segler, um, he's from up this way too. We we played in for a year together in the force, and he was at that game. I remember there's a, there's a famous photo of that game where he's looking up at the sky, laughing because it was pretty comical that the, <laughs> the AFL had, had planned a Friday night game in Canberra. It's probably one of the coldest places in Australia, <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it did look pretty cool to be honest. And there's yeah. a lot of people saying that that's what we do every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: How do you think other people would describe you?
1: Oh, it depends if they know me or they don't. If they don't know me and they see me on TV, the way I play footy, they probably don't like me. Um, <laughs> but you get that when you play AFL, and and, and people who probably do know me, I'd, I'd hope they'd say that, that I'm a kind, caring person um, who's got a lot of time for his friends and family uh, because that's the way I was brought up and, and that's the way yeah, I like to think that I portray myself.
0: Spare time. I'd imagine when you're playing footy at a elite athlete level, it's your profession, do you get much downtime or do you just live and breathe football for all of winter and then you pretty much start your pre-season?
1: It's funny, it's um, it's it's almost the opposite in terms of an elite footballer's lifestyle and and commitments and training commitments throughout the year. Um, we go back to pre-season in the middle of November um, and we pretty much train like demons for five, six days a week from nine to five, pretty much. Um, And you've got no spare time. And when you do have spare time, you're so tired from training so hard in the hot summer months that you don't really want to do anything. You hit the couch or jump in the pool and relax. Um, whereas in season um, throughout winter when we're playing games it's all about recovery so we'll spend a little bit of time outside training and refining our skills but then we'll also have a lot of time to relax and recover um, because we need to get ready for the game on the weekend Um, so essentially we have more spare time in winter than we do in summer Um, and unfortunately in Melbourne the winter months aren't too kind weather-wise to get out and do too many things and if I had my ideal um, hobbies every week that I could do. I'd definitely be out fishing um, and playing golf. Uh, I love those two things, but but often I'm injured and I can't get on the golf course. Um, and often in Melbourne, the bay is blown up a, an absolute treat and you can't get the boat out in the bay. So, yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to, to find your, your hobbies. And um, I actually got a dog a couple of years ago. I'm a German shorthead pointer. So he's become my hobby every day. We go in the park and, and hang out together. And so it's a little bit of the way that I spend my time in Melbourne.
0: You sort of mentioned that you know, it's quieter over winter. I'd imagine that there's a fair bit of uh, media attention and things, though, everywhere you'd go, particularly in Melbourne. Uh, we, it's sort of sim- similar in Sydney. to have the NRL media. that just follow everyone and everything, that breeds of the sport. Is it the same in
1: Melbourne? 100%. I mean, uh, Melbourne goes into meltdown in footy, football season. Um, although our, our physical hours at the club aren't, aren't too high throughout the footy season, the toll the of the game takes on you mentally and um, it probably, yeah, it's, especially when things aren't going too well, it becomes a bit of a drain um, throughout the season sometimes. But also when things are going well, it's, it's a pretty exciting place to be in Melbourne when you're, you're playing in a good side and, and you're winning. Um, but the scrutiny that comes with playing AFL football is quite high and, and I think that's why it's important to have those releases outside of football, whether that be some guys um, study, some guys play golf, some guys, whatever they like to do, um, it's important that you, you find a way to balance your lifestyle because... I've seen guys and I've been with guys who have just been football, football, football and they burn out so quick and you don't get the best out of yourself as a person or definitely don't get your best out of yourself as a footballer And the short period of time. You do have to play football. Um, You want to maximize that um, to be able to help your team and and help yourself as well. So that balanced lifestyle is huge and and sometimes in Melbourne it's challenging to to find that but um, the older you get, the more experience you have and the easier it becomes.
0: Um, one of the previous people that we spoke to here on this journey um, was Adrian Pertel, who played NRL for a couple of teams. Ex-Aubrey Boy as well, obviously, the tie. And one of the things that he sort of highlighted fairly early in the interview is he sort of wish he had his time again with the earnings and the, and being responsible with the money. Do you get good support... Um, when you're when you're an elite sports person on good paychecks, you get good support to, to make the right decisions, knowing that you can't play footy at that level forever and have that income forever. You know? oh,
1: I mean, in 2020 now, I think we are, aren't we? Almost, it's yeah. it's we're fortunate as elite athletes. I mean, when I first started, the support networks were just starting to be implemented. Um, it's been a few well documented sports personalities that have done the wrong thing and 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 publicly gone the wrong way about it, and they're well known stories. And, and I think. After that, all that stuff was made public. We've got a great resource in the AFL Players Association as well as our club. Our club is pretty, pretty big supporters of making sure that their people are well set up. Um, and, and as you said... I think the average age of an AFL or average lifespan of an AFL football these days is four years. So if you get to play eight years, 10 years, 12 years, I mean, that's fantastic. But at the end of the day, if you haven't gone and studied or furthered yourself in education, you've pretty much missed the first 10 years of your working life. Mm. You don't have too many skills that transfer into a workplace. And at 30, 31, 32, or even 25 or 26, if you play for five or six years, you miss that first part of your work life. And then you got to go and get a career for the next 40 years of your life. You you, you're, you actually start behind the eight ball. And the guys that play for four, five, six years actually don't earn that much money either. So they don't earn enough to set themselves up. And generally, they get sucked into the lifestyle of being a footballer. Yeah because you've got that disposable income that it's it sometimes can be a bit of a trap. But uh, going back to the question is that the support we have these days from a number of resources um, has been really good and, and my management um, and my financial advisor have been huge for me, letting me know that you know I'm in a privileged position to be able to set myself up, essentially le- earning your life income up front in it to a point. Um, what you do with that, it's up to you. You can go and have a great life for 10 years and then have to go back and go to work and earn your career again or you can do a bit of both. You can have fun while you're doing it but also have one eye on the future and and set yourself up and um, I like to think that I'm doing that at the moment and, and with my team and resources and my parents are pretty big on this as well but just making sure that the future is always there and we need to be ready for it.
0: So, what is your retirement plan? You've spoken about education and things in there, and sort of reskilling or upskilling yourself. What are you thinking beyond playing? What does it look like for you? Uh,
1: to be honest, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. It sounds like I've got it together, then I ended up saying that. So, <laughs> um, w- but it, it is like it's a bit it's a bit hard to sort of choose your career. And every kid that finishes school has got that decision to make as well. It's like, what uni course do I do? What trade do I do? And I feel like some kids get stuck in the decision they make at 18 and they're doing for the rest of their life and some people learn to regret that as well and hate that decision. So I'm fortunate, I mean, I get to choose something that I want to do um, after football. Over the last seven or eight years, I've been lucky enough to do a degree as well. So I've got a business degree. So i I'm just going to work um, over the next couple of years, three or four years, and just do a few work experience type things and, and just figure out what I like, what I don't like, and then hopefully when the, the time comes, my career's over, I'm in a financial position that I can do something I want to do, not that I have to do, and choose accordingly.
0: What would you have done if you weren't a good footballer? What, you know, There's plenty of kids at the moment sitting through HSC and VC exams and anxiously waiting the decisions or gap years and things like that. What would you have done? What interests you?
1: Oh, I don't think I would have finished school, to be honest. <laughs> I was lucky. I got a football scholarship to go to Corfield Grammar uh, and do private school for year 11 and 12. And if I hadn't got that, I was pretty much my old man and parents to, to finish school at year 10 that year. And I didn't want to go to boarding school. And my old man said, No, nah, you're going. It's too good of an opportunity to pass up. Um, and I, I would have thought I, would, I, might, I probably would have become an electrician. I was interested in that at the time. And um, I kind of wish I did now because having a qualified um, trade it would be. Pretty nice to be able to fall back onto that. But at the same time, I'm, I haven't really had a real job just yet. I've played football for 11 years and I'm delaying trying to get a real job for as long as possible. So, yeah, it's a tough question and it's, it's a lot of kids have that that sort of decision to make and well, I think it would have been an electrician, but who knows? Thankfully, we didn't have to make that decision.
0: Let's see it now. Zappy Zeeble. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Electrical <laughs> business. <laughs> don't, still come not Don't hire me. I'll <laughs> burn the house down. <laughs> Do you get into... Uh, philosophical sort of quotes and things like that is there anything that you sort of like you you apply as a filter to your life or decisions that you make? you got to lead a football team you know day to day at the moment oh
1: not really i mean there's one thing that probably sticks with me and i say this to my girlfriend who whinges about just about everything every day it's um if it was easy everyone else would be doing it so it's something very simple and when things are hard especially at footy training i just pitch a pre-season some of the running drills you have to do it's quite physically taxing and you realise that if it was easy, like, well, there's a lot of folks in the country that you hear about it all the time, or he should have played AFL, or he should have done this, he should have done that. And the reason that there is a reason that they didn't, and um, for whatever reason, it might have been just too hard. So that's something I sort of live by.
0: I often ask the people sitting opposite me here, you know, what their greatest achievement in life so far is. Your story is only still a young one, like a few of them have been. Is it getting to where you are in football?
1: I think so. And as a... Player of AFL football, I don't really look too much too. I don't look back too much on my career just yet. I suppose that's for when you retire, and I'm all about team success. And so, so when you say what's your biggest achievement so far, especially footballing, it um, would have to be making prelim finals consecutive years. We were lucky enough in 2014 and 15 to make two sets of prelim finals and and be one win away from a grand final. We didn't get there in the end, but looking back on that especially after the last three years we haven't played finals as a team that was something i'll probably if i had my time again i would have cherished a little bit more because it was it was a pretty cool experience and essentially that's what's driving myself and all the other older guys at the footy club to be able to get better and get back to that that point and that's why we do what we do and when it's hard that's why we we put those hard yards in because we know what it's like to be at the pointy end of the season and how good it is and and that's probably the one of my greatest achievements um, being a part of that and um but having that, that team success goal, I think, is is part of the reason why I've got my job as captain of the footy club and I'm trying to instill that into the younger guys going forward as well.
0: Mm. Playing for North Melbourne, were you a North Melbourne fan? Who did you follow as a kid?
1: Well, I get asked this question a lot and I'm really ashamed of the answer. I used to vote for Collingwood. My dad and whole family were... <laughs> like one-eyed Collingwood supporters, would not entertain anything else. I remember coming home as a child um, after school one day and all my friends were going for Essendon and Collingwood were bad at the time and and Essendon were going well. And I said, Dad, I'm going for Essendon now. And he said, well, there's the door, mate. You don't live here anymore. And I was like, oh, you serious? He's like, yeah, pack a bag. I'll see you later. I was like, oh, maybe I'll go for Collingwood a bit more. So that's just a a glimpse into how much of a Collingwood supporter he was. And when I got drafted by North, we thought I was going to go to Brisbane Lions. So I had to move to Brisbane. They told me they were going to pick me before North. And it worked out that I went to North Melbourne and we were just so happy that I was in Melbourne that I didn't care where we, where I went. And I remember dad ringing me and saying, you know, I'm very proud that you, you know for a footballer now, son, but um, I still have to go for Collingwood. I mean, I'll go to you and I'll watch your games, but I'm going for Collingwood. And um, I said, oh, I understand that completely because how one-eyed of a supporter he was until the first two years I was playing, I was fortunate enough to play most games in my first two years and... We played Collingwood four times in two years, so two times a year, and we got beaten on an average by about 80 or 90 points. And Dad had to sit in the crowd with a bunch of feral Collingwood supporters listening to them abuse the team and me as an individual. And he just said, there's no more, I can't do this. So now he's like one-eyed North Melbourne. We've got a pretty big extended family, and they are all North Melbourne. They're all paid-up members. Um, They go every week pretty much to the games. Um, It's a pretty cool... Um, transformation over the 10 years. I've just about got everyone. There's one person I can't get, and that's my grandfather. He's Hawthorne, and he won't change.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're taking away the other club's memberships one person at a time. Yeah,
1: we're trying to infiltrate everyone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Do you have any regrets in life so far? Is there anything that you you wish you could undo?
1: No, I don't think so. Every mistake I've made, I've learned from life and football. So, yeah, I, I think yeah, if you make the same mistake twice, you obviously didn't make the first one big enough because uh, you didn't <laughs> learn from it. But that was, I was brought up to say that you needed to, to learn from your mistakes and, and I think I've done that pretty well. Yeah. So I don't really have too many regrets, no.
0: Any, any tough decisions that you've had to make over the years?
1: No, I've been fortunate, to be honest, to live the life I have and I've never been put in too much of a difficult situation where I've got to decide life decisions one way or another. Um, and I've pretty much taken that out of, especially my footballing career, I would hate to be in a position to make a tough decision on your future. Um, so I've I've always signed early and for as long as I can. Um, and I signed a five-year deal a few years ago and I just wanted to take that completely off the table that another club would come in and offer you a lot of money to play. And I didn't want to, I want to be a one-club player and, and I'm pretty confident I will be. Um, so I've been fortunate enough that I haven't had to make too many tough calls, which is probably a sheltered life.
0: How long do you think you got left?
1: I'd like to say 10 years, but I don't think I do. <laughs> I've got two years on my uh, current contract and I'll, I'll come out at 30 after that and then we'll assess how I'm going. People hear this a lot of the time in media, but it is really about what the club wants. If the club's not going too well and they're looking to get rid of older guys and so be it, I've had a good career, but I'm pretty confident that I've got another four or five years left in my body um, playing good football. So if my performance are up to scratch, I can't tell why I won't play on.
0: You mentioned a little bit earlier on about um, you know not taking in and living in the moment of a couple of finals bursts. Do you think that's far away around the corner for North Melbourne fans that might be listening or watching? You know, what are your thoughts?
1: No, I absolutely. Think that's just around the corner. Um. Yeah. Last year was a, a tumultuous year. Uh, for anyone who follows football, we um, didn't start very well. We had high hopes of playing finals last year and I think we lost our first three games um, and coughed and splattered our way through through the first probably two months of the season. And I think about the, the eight-week mark, we lost our coach. and That was a, a pretty tough pill to swallow considering he uh, was the coach I've had pretty much for the last 10 years and, and I'd say nine percent of our list had only had him as a coach. So for him to, to leave before halfway point of the season, was very early um, and a pretty pretty big thing for a footy club to do, but our new coach now, Rhys come on board as a caretaker coach, and and he really galvanised their group and and just simplified everything for us as a playing list, and, and the way we performed in the second half of the year, I've taken, as a player, great confidence out of, and I'm sure all of our members and supporters have done the same thing, because we played some great footy, we beat Collingwood, we smacked Collingwood, we smacked Richmond, who went on to win the Premiership, and we obviously had some down weeks, but we know our best football is good enough. And another pre-season, full pre-season under Shorey, and we've got some good young talent coming through. And we picked up another guy from JWS um, in the trade period. Aiden Bono is a good, strong inside midfielder. And we'll go back to the draft with some nice picks and get some more kids. I can't see um, why we can't, you know, go further next year and, and put this club back to where it belongs, and that's playing in September. And as I said, we've missed it for the last three years. And, and after playing finals and missing it for three years, along with getting older, you realise that time is running out and there's no more, we, we'll, we'll do it in a few years. It, it sort of has to be now for us older guys and and that's what we're, that's the message we're pushing. Luckily,
0: um, you've got the voice as captain to be able to in, in, expect the rest of the team to lift. Yeah, say, oh, yeah, I'm getting old here. Yeah. <laughs> you do it for me. Yeah, yeah, well, I remember <laughs> when
1: I was a kid as well, we used to have a few older boys like Drew Petrie and Boomer and, and mm. Brady Rawlings and these guys were saying that to me and I was sort of... Not like scuffing it off or anything, but saying, you know, like we've played finals before and I've got another 10 years left and we'll play. We'll play finals. We'll win a flag. It'll be all right. And then you sort of get 10, 11 years into your career and realize you haven't done that yet. And then you end up being that older guy saying, come on, boys, we need to do this now because, you know, how, who knows how long you got left. But it's a good message to have as a player. You should always, you want to do the best you can every year. And we've always done that. Um, unfortunately, we've fallen short a few too many times, but I think learning from those mistakes and, and going forward with the list we've got now, the future does look bright for
0: North Melbourne. If this is a bit of a, a bit of a left field one, if, if you were to get locked up for something, uh, this is obviously a dinner, a dinner party conversation, oh, yeah, actually, goes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you know something I don't. What, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you think you'd be caught for? <laughs> oh... This is the first time I've ever asked anyone this, because wow. it's always interesting to see. I'll give you mine if it makes it easy for you. I think I'd be white-collar. I'd probably be tax evasion or something. Not that I'm evading any tax at the moment. I oh, will well, would be trying to be too clever for the government or something. I think that- you'd just put
1: a target on your back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wiping a few things off in your tax return, you probably shouldn't. Um, oh, To be honest, I reckon it would be something like in the bush. We do a few, not dodgy things in the bush, but like we ride motorbikes, but we probably shouldn't ride motorbikes. And- yeah. We might, I don't know, camp in the wrong spot every now and again. Well, it's getting um, harder
0: and harder to, to live, isn't it? Like oh, everything's against the law. I oh know. That's um, that.
1: Build laws left, right, and centre about you can't do this, you can't do that. And it's like, what can you do?
0: Yeah.
1: I want to go and have fun, and you tell me I can't do it there, I can't do it there. So we just do it there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> i come from Melbourne four and a half hours up here into the bush, and you tell me I can't ride a motorbike here. I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs>
0: I like it. It's innocent. Yeah, it's innocent well, at least. If I don't break lock the law you up, too much, to be honest. If so. they're going to lock you up for that, there's a lot of us getting locked up that way. <laughs> you mentioned uh, before about you know losing a coach partway through a, a season. Obviously, I'd imagine that's fairly disruptive. How important is... Because, I mean, you also said that you don't think any skills that you have now might necessarily take you across uh, to a new career. or you know The leadership of a coach, even a captain in your scenario, how important... Are those roles in anything, not just sport?
1: Oh, huge. And, and just before, I, I did say that, that some things wouldn't translate. I mean, there's a lot that does translate from elite sport to the commercial world, uh, to the corporate world. Um, but it's just transferring those skills is a challenge if you haven't done it before. But the the leadership positions held in any business, I think, are the most crucial uh, because leadership is essentially trying to get a group of people to go in a direction that best suits the organisation. And that's challenging because everyone's different. And at footy clubs, everyone's got their own individual goals. We've got a goal as a team, but it's trying to align those goals mm-hmm. and trying to get everyone to move in that one direction. And and our club, we've got, I think, 44, 45 guys on our playing list. Um, so that's 45 individual goals that are all different. Um, trying to get that all into line with the one team goal is quite a challenge and there's actually not enough hours in the day to, to get around to everyone to understand each person's goal, what they're doing, how they're doing it on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. So that's why football clubs um, created leadership groups and you can only have one captain or you might have two captains as co-captains, but in my mind, we've got four because our leadership group at the minute is four-man leadership group with Robbie Tarrant, Sean Higgins and Jamie McMillan and myself. I've got the official title as captain, but those guys do... As much, if not more, than what I do with the playing group, they're an enormous support to me and what I do, um, along with three sure, obviously, and and our assistant coaches play a, a pretty pretty important role in leadership as well. But it's it is one of the most crucial parts of of business and sport, and probably sport to an extent in AFL because on the weekend is we get judged every Saturday for two hours by everyone in the country. Everyone's and if we, an expert. Yeah, everyone's an expert. And if, and if we don't perform, the pressure comes. It's, it's not like your normal business to an extent. We do reviews every single week on your performance. Um, it's like going to an office job or a corporate job and every single meeting you go to, you get reviewed on it. It's like you don't do that. No one's got the time or the effort to do that. But in the AFL world, that's what happens. And guys learn from their mistakes and how you teach those guys. Everyone's got different learning abilities. It's not like the old days back in... The nineteen nineties, where Dennis Pagan would come in and just you know tar everyone with the same brush, and if you can't cop a spray, then get out the door. Mm. Two thousand and twenty, it's a little bit different. Some guys don't re- respond too well to copying uh, criticism in front of people, so as a coach, it's challenging as a, as, a, as a leader. You need to understand what makes that person tick, the best way they learn and how you can um, help influence them and their performance to help the team. And if that is by grabbing them one-on-one and going through some stuff with them away from the group because they don't want to get embarrassed in front of their friends if they've done something wrong and they're going to respond better doing it that, do, that way, then why wouldn't you do it that way? Whereas some guys, you put, them, put the heat on them in front of their group, in front of their teammates, they're going to get a big response from that because they're embarrassed in front of their friends it's like i'm not doing that again i want to improve so you just got to pick your mark and learn your teammates and and it all comes off the back of relationships building those relationships and and that takes time um we're fortunate at a footy club that we get to spend pretty much every minute of the day with our teammates so you've got a lot of time to build those relationships but yeah i think Ray Shaw is our new coach he's only been at the club 12 months he started last off season as an assistant coach and his ability to build relationships with the players in that short period of time, I've never seen anything like it. Mm. So I've got absolutely full faith in Shory's ability to influence the playing list because he's got those relationships. And another 12 months into those relationships, they're going to be stronger and better. So I'm just super excited about what's ahead because I think the leadership at our footy club with, with our chairman, Ben Buckley, has made some big changes, um, but he's done that for the betterment of the team and, and trying to improve. So Ben Buckley, Ray Shaw and, and myself um, leading the way, I think it's going to be exciting times.
0: Being a one-club player thus far, and, and as you said, you hope that's going to remain the case. You, you may have only seen one or two really examples, but culture, getting culture right in a club, team, how important is that? And I guess you'd hear from other players from other clubs that you might be friends with and have come through development with. Uh, is that sort of some of the problems you see? Uh, perhaps sometimes when, when you see a coach turned over or, or if a team isn't performing, is it because of support they're lacking or things like that?
1: Yeah, I think the word culture is thrown around a lot and every single workplace in Australia has a culture, yeah. whether it's positive or negative. We spend an enormous amount of time on, on ours. Uh, we were fortunate enough to... well. Fortunate or not fortunate, but our club's been through some pretty hard times over the last probably two decades, fighting off relocation, fighting off um, bankruptcy. Um, I think about seven or eight years ago, we had nearly $6 million worth of debt, and we are trying to compete against teams like Collingwood and Richmond and Essendon who were just uh, unlimited in resources. Uh, We couldn't spend... Anywhere we couldn't spend anything on our football department. Our facilities when I first started Woodonga Bulldogs Football Club's facilities were better the North Melbourne's mm-hmm. and somehow on field North Melbourne could always compete. And it's not because of what they had, it's because of who they had. And the people in the in the four walls of the footy club and the attitude around that time was, was about just there's no excuses. We just gotta compete. It is what it is. You don't know any different. Um if you've been there at the start like I have to now, I don't know any other footy club. So I could walk into another football club now and start drawing comparisons. But but me, sitting from North Melbourne point of view, I'll never compare our club to anyone else's. Um, it's always good when you get guys from other clubs to come across and they can do the comparison and to say, like, we've had a couple of guys from Port Adelaide this year, Jasper, Pittard and Polak, and just say that the, that the clubs are very similar but very different at the same time. Um, and they've really enjoyed their time at North Melbourne. So the reinforcement where you get from those guys about building a positive culture, a culture where. People enjoy being in, obviously, and, and it also promotes success and people developing. I think that's the most important thing is you've got an environment where people want to learn, they want to improve, and they're having a good time, and they enjoy coming to work every day. On top of all that, they're respectful, and they're considerate of others. I think that's that's what we want to do and build our footy club around, because I know that model will take us into the future for a very long time.
0: Is the common goal that you mentioned earlier for the team, trying to get 40-odd blokes to all sort of go in the one direction, is is the common goal just simply winning, is that, is, that the, is that the goal? Is it as simple as that?
1: It is. It, well, the goal is to win a premiership, no doubt. But beyond that, it is about building a sustainable brand for our club, whether that's on the field, off the field. It's not just doing it one week and not doing it the next. It's doing it every week. And we talk about it as players, building a brand of football that will stack up in big moments. And that takes years to build, years and years to build. And I've been building it for 10 or 11 years. Um, we're still... We'll, like even Richmond this year won the premiership, they've got so many things they need to improve on and they've won the premiership. That's how football works. So it's almost a never-ending job, um, that end goal, but winning... Building a winning culture, which is just you expect to win every week, no matter who you play, where you play them, is at the top of the list, along with building a brand around the club that's going to help us in the future. It's going to stack up.
0: You want it to be infectious. You need membership. You need everything. You know, and, you and need convert Collingwood supporters. Well, it's funny because <laughs> when we were playing
1: prelim finals, we played in the, the year after we played Richmond, in one of the first finals, we played in front of 93,000 people and it was like 50-50 Richmond-North Melbourne supporters at the G. Mm. And then some games, when we're not going so well, there's only 15,000 supporters there. So it is. there's a lot of off-field stuff, correlations relate to on-field stuff. And how do we help the whole club? And it's purely off the back of performance and winning. If we do that, you'll watch any club in Australia, whether they just first start or not. GWS's numbers this year after making a grand final, their membership numbers next year will go through the roof. It's, winning helps everything. Mm. So that's what we got to build is a winning oh, culture. All
0: we've got to do is look at anybody's Facebook feed and what happens when Carlton wins a game. Suddenly all the supporters <laughs> come, come out. True, <laughs> <laughs> With the benefit of hindsight, you sort of said you've learnt from your mistakes that you've made. With hindsight, is there anything that you'd change or anything that you'd say to a younger you? Or
1: To be honest, um, when I was a kid, probably from 15 to 17, I didn't train. I was pretty lazy and I didn't really know what it took to, to play elite-level junior football, or I just sort of used to rock up and get all I with playing on natural talent. I got found out my first year of AFL pre-season. Uh, I was a chubby kid and not very fit, and it took me a couple of years to get fit. Uh, if I'd have done the work before that, getting there would have had more of an impact straight away, and I could have set myself up a little bit better. But as I said, I, that was a mistake I learned from, and I don't regret it because it, it made me more determined to, to then get fit and do the hard work and get ahead. But if I had my time again, I'd go back and do it a bit younger Mm -hmm. so I could enjoy it a bit more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it getting harder to pull up after matches as as you age?
1: Yes, 100%. Without hesitation, I used to, when I remember when I was first starting, 18, 19, a day after, two days after a game, I could spring out of bed, no worries at all. And some days, some weeks this year, it takes you three, four, five days to get over a game, especially if you get a few bumps and bruises. I remember we had back to back six day breaks last year, and I was running out with a couple of the boys for the first warm-up before one of the games. And I'm saying, I'm still sore from last week's game. And we're about to play another game. So it's, uh, it does take its toll a little bit. But, I mean, the sports science practices these days to help you recover and get get feeling better have also gone through the roof. So it's on you as an athlete, a professional athlete, to make sure your body can handle it. And with experience, you learn that.
0: If there's a movie on your life, who would play Jack Zebel?
1: That's a tough one, isn't it? Um, Probably a good-looking rooster. (laughs) (laughs) He wouldn't, but my favourite actor is Leonardo DiCaprio. He plays the best roles in all the movies. So I'd say him just because I like him. Yeah, He probably doesn't.
0: I'm trying to, in my mind, morph his face over yours at the moment to see the similarities. There's not much there, is there? No, but, but he's a good actor, <laughs> yeah, take it. That's Might what I say, he's a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the worst uh, answer you've
1: had to that question. But anyway.
0: Soundtrack of your life? Like, what would go with the movie? If there's a, if there's an album that's released of that movie and you're doing your thing as a teenager or a current day, oh. what are we, are we at, are we at uh, music festivals or where are we? Are you're
1: probably skipping through the generations, I think, going from the Eagles and the Beatles back in the day yep. to... Probably dance music at some point throughout that. Yeah, there's an array of things, no doubt, but I couldn't pick one. I'd pay a music director to sort that out for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good one. And and one that we always end on, uh, Jack, is uh, if you could be anywhere in the world tomorrow, don't worry about money, uh, where would you be and who would you have with you?
1: It's a good question. Um, If I could, I'd be in about three different spots, probably New York, LA or London, so I didn't have to worry about anything. They're three of my favourite cities in the world. I reckon they're fantastic. I'd probably have, I don't know, your three best mates, your girlfriend and, yeah, their girlfriends. So the girls can go off and the boys can go off and do their thing. it <laughs> <laughs> would be a good time.
0: Thanks for listening to The Journey. At BMG Partners, they enable people to achieve their dreams. And if listening to this conversation got you thinking about your journey and whether you're on track, they'd love to hear from you. Head to bmgpartners.com.au. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.